Hey, everybody, this is Sean Pitcher with the Roots Podcast. I'm here today with Nate Young. He is from Buffalo State. Um, I've known Nate Young for a lot of years. Um, my undergrad was at SUNY Buffalo State, where I did my nutrition and dietetics degree. Um, and I got the chance to intern with Nate uh, when he first got brought on to Buffalo State as a strength and conditioning intern. Um, he's been a mentor to me for many years. Um, so I'm very excited to have him on, to have a conversation with him. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing fantastic. Looking forward to this. Love it. So um, kind of the first question I ask everybody is, can you give us an idea of who is Nate Young? You know, behind being a strength coach, behind the name, like who are you, where are you from? Just give us some insights so the viewers know who you are. <clears throat> well, you know, I, I got to listen to uh, a couple of your other uh, episodes that are up and, you know, very similar to you. I grew up in central New York, uh, actually a couple hours north of you in Rome, New York. Um, I, I, I was born there and then I spent some time in Maryland and we ended up moving back there. So I spent most of my childhood there and I uh, had a had a great childhood, got, got to play sports and running around town and, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. And it was pretty typical, uh, uh, pretty typical and good childhood. And uh, once I got into high school, I got into uh, football and track and field and um, that took me into the world of, of the weight room. And, and I've been hooked really ever since. And I've uh, chased that dream uh, around the country, like uh, a lot of strength coaches do. I uh, started my uh, career at Binghamton University. I did my internship there. And then uh, from there, I, had, I ended up down at um, Liberty University, or not Liberty, sorry, uh, that's where I did my undergrad. Um, I went down to Florida International where I got my master's degree. And then I uh, interned and, and ended up getting my first assistant position there. Uh, moved to Murray, Kentucky and took on a, a position there with uh, Murray State University. Uh, from there, I bounced into the uh, tactical setting, so to speak, uh, working with the military in Oklahoma. And then I uh, moved to Buffalo uh, to be closer to family and took on a job at Buffalo State. And that's where I've been for the past uh, nine, nine and a half, almost 10 years. And, and it's always funny because, you know, how things parallel, like, for example, like my brother went to Binghamton University or I'm literally like probably 10, 15 minutes from Binghamton University, yep. um, you know, talking about getting into strength and conditioning. You know, when I was younger, I also played football myself. So, you know, my dad got me into the gym really early. I became a gym rat. I started at probably like 12 years old. And I, I could still remember the time when I got in there. It's like I didn't know, had no clue what to do. My dad was like, all right, kind of like a bodybuilding. Like everyone kind of says this, right? Like, oh, I kind of started out with a bodybuilding type training. It'd be like, oh, here's chest day. And he'd show me all the exercises that chest were. And I go in and every Monday, I'm going to do these 10 exercises and just do like three or four sets of 10 of everything, you know, really having zero clue on essentially what to do, but, you know, got hooked right away and knew is extremely important part of, of me being an athlete. Now, it obviously took me a while to learn you know, how to correctly do the exercises the right way. You know, I'll be honest, when I was first starting out, I was definitely one of those guys that was quarter squat with a bar on my back because I didn't know the value of depth, but <laughs> I was still in there at least, at least training at the end of the day. And that's kind of what brought me on to when I was at Buff State. Like I played there for, for two years. Um, you know, unfortunately for me, I had concussion issues. Um, so I can still remember the coach to this day. You know, he sat me down in his office and he was like, hey, he goes, your, your career is going to be a lot more important 
right now than playing division three football. And like, you have a long career and a lot more school you have to go. Like, I really think you should probably call it because it's really not worth continuing to, to get this type of injury and then having the long-term issues that could come up and occur. And that's where essentially where, where Nate popped in and he kind of led me into that realm. I mean, I never knew you could get school paid for. I didn't know there was GA positions. I didn't know there was four or five websites that you could go to, to apply for stuff. So, I mean, that's where you kind of, kind of picked up off there because I mean, as you know, once sports are gone, it's like, there's a huge hole. You don't even, you don't almost know what to do. Like, it's like, how do I fill, how do I fill that gap? How do I fill that hole? Yeah. You got to figure it out. And, um, I, I know I was reading something years ago. They said, that's why a lot of soldiers struggle. They leave that, they leave when they get out of the, the military setting, they struggle because they don't have that brotherhood and athletes are the same way. You're around these teammates and your friends and you have this brotherhood uh, or sisterhood. And once you step away, it's like, no, I, you're not forced into these friendships and forced into these environments the same way. And uh, people struggle. And it's such a huge routine. And, and that's, I think that's huge. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're an athlete, not an athlete, schedule and routine is huge. And when that's all you do from, I mean, again, everyone's going to be different. Like I did that from seven years old all the way up into my late teens, early twenties. And now all of a sudden like, boom, it's just yanked from you. You're like, there's four or five, six hours that was dedicated to something that's now just gone. Like, what does my schedule and routine look like? And how do I fill that with something else that's going to be valuable to keep pushing me towards my goals or, or give me some type of, of new identity or direction that I'm going to be able to go towards. Yeah. That's how I got into powerlifting. Cause I had to, I had to fill it with something. So I, I started uh, training for powerlifting kind of give me some purpose. It, it didn't give me that camaraderie and brothership, you know, brotherhood um, that I had, you know, in, in a team setting, but it still gave me that competitive drive and gave me something to shoot for and aim for with my, with my training. Oh, and I have a great story for the audience. So <laughs> I remember the first time I hit him up, you had just got hired and I was like, all right, where can I meet you? And we were going to sit down, have a conversation, see if it was a good fit, you know, for me to, to end turn with you at the time. And this is way back in like, I think 2012, 2013. And I walk into the weight room and I'm like, Hey, does anyone know what coach young is? And if you remember, it was in that one building. Cause yeah, we had to relocate all, yep. and it was just like, <laughs> thrown into this closet right like everything's squished in there and there's a million athletes and it's just wall to wall you can't really move but you know that type of a close environment was was really different but back to the story i'm walking in i'm like where's coach young at and they're like oh he's over here in the corner and i can't remember if you were like squatting or deadlifting and it must have been like five six hundred pounds or more or something like that and you just yeah. had this face like <laughs> like you were about to like literally go destroy somebody yeah. Or like run through a wall and I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, are you sure he's a nice guy? Like, should I go and have a conversation with him? Oh, that's just how Nate looks. He's just over there training in the corner. Like you're, you're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is, you know, I've always had that, that demeanor and, and, you know, it gets in my way sometimes, but when people get to know me, uh, you know, we, we usually have great, great relationships and, and, you know, sometimes it's, somebody taking that chance and just taking that opportunity to actually get to know you. <clears throat> um, and yeah. I think, I think nowadays that's tough is everybody, not everybody sees the external body language or hears one thing from one person makes a judgment and then automatically 
dismisses the kid. It could be a staff member. It could be an athlete, but it's like, you know, that that's one of the reasons why I want to do this too, is, is there's much more behind the individual than just what you see from a first impression. And I know first impressions are important and they make a big difference, but you know, sometimes like it could be a bad day or maybe that's just how you look every single day, or that's how you look in the weight room. And for that example that I gave, it's like, you got to give people two or three more chances and not just write them off. Yeah, no. I mean, like even, even from a coaching perspective, you know, you can learn a lot about a kid, you know, in one session, but you learn a lot more in two or three weeks of sessions and you can kind of see some of those habits and how they carry themselves and how they talk and how they interact with others. Um, and then, well, two or three weeks is still not a ton of time. You can figure out quite a bit about, about your athletes in, in, if you give them a couple weeks to figure, figure them out. Do you, do you felt that made a big difference? Like, do you feel like, you know, obviously there's no cookie cutter approach, but like that helped you be able to kind of coach each athlete individually differently based on the feedback or body language or how they were in your setting? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I would always coach everybody the same initially. Um, but once I got to know you and how you kind of responded to different things, um, then I could kind of approach you a little bit differently and use different cues. Um, occasionally I'd have to sit there and say, I'm not sure what I'm doing with this kid. And I'd send an intern over and say, you try to coach him and see if you can get through it all. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, you know, I know you've talked about roots a lot. You know, one of my first mentors, he was big on that. He goes, he goes, I don't want to hire somebody just like me. I want to hire somebody completely different than me because if I can't get through to a kid with my personality, maybe my intern or my assistant can. Um, and I was the complete opposite of him. So he used me to coach up athletes he couldn't get through to. And that way he still looked good at the end. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll go back to that point too. And I think that's some really good advice I received from you was, you know, at the time I was getting close to being done, graduating, clinical hours were almost done. I was going to have to then take my RD exam. And <clears throat> I know you had a spot open up and I was like, oh, I could, I'll, I'll apply for the spot and stay here. And you were like, no, don't, don't do it. You were like, you're like, no, it's not no, because I don't want you here. It's no, because you have a lot more people out in the world. Yeah. In this case, when I was, you know, going for a strength and conditioning GA, you have a lot more people that you can learn from, from me. Like you learned as much as you could from me. And there's tons of other people that I think you need to learn from as well to help make you more of a well-rounded at that time, strength and conditioning coach when I was specifically involved in that. And then also, you know, like Dr. I think it was you as well. And then Dr. Nation, who, who I hope to bring on the podcast as well. She was one of my professors when I was at Buffalo State. You know, she said, you or her said, like, don't go for your master's in nutrition. You've, you've learned everything that you need to learn in nutrition in undergrad. Do something that you can help complement what you're doing right now. Whether in my case, it was strength and conditioning, right? It could be business. It could be psychology. Um, do something that's going to essentially make you more of a utility type player, be able to do multiple different things and not just have you be one, like a one trick pony. And, and that helped out a lot, right. Interning and, and initially starting out with strength until I finally got a sports nutrition job, um, you know, really allowed me to be able to speak the language, know how to coach, know what coaches and strength conditioning are looking for. Um, which goes back to what you said, like trust and, and building relationships that made it a lot easier in my career when I started to heavily, mostly focus on nutrition, but still had to collaboratively work with those other staff members. Yeah. 
No, it's huge. And like, it's, it's something I didn't do. And, and I, you know, I, I know I told people to do that because I realized it was a mistake in my life. I was like, I got two degrees. I got an undergrad and a master's degree in exercise science. And I'm like, I learned all this hospital stuff and I'm working in a strength conditioning setting. And I'm like, if I want to leave this, <laughs> it's going to be real hard. How, what would you recommend to like interns or GAs or fellows now like coming up through the field, um, I know there's a lot more, you know, strength and conditioning degrees or, or like emphasis where you can go and do your undergrad or master's in strength and conditioning gives you more hands-on experience. Like, what would you tell someone like freshman, sophomore years, like, oh, I want to get into this. How could they approach that rather than waiting until the end of undergrad to do something? <laughs> um, that's, that's a tough one because the field is changing a little bit. Um, you know, like the NSCA is going to be requiring a related degree in, in a field to, to get their, their certification. Um, and, I, and I do think there's something to having that science background. Um, but at the same time, I'm sitting there, you know, I can hear the Buddy Morrises and, and whatnot talking to them. You don't need a degree for this. And, then, you know, <laughs> um, they, they want you to be educated. Uh, but from a job standpoint where they're looking at your resume, and how you're educated before they talk to you. Um, your undergrad, you're going to kind of need a, a degree in that, uh, in exercise science or a related field. Um, but but you go on and get that master's degree, uh, the world's open to you, and, and you can really get anything. Um, because you know, it, if you look at how many people get out of strength and conditioning. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a rarity being in it in my early 40s still, you know, and, and you get into your 50s or, or even 60s, very few people retire as a, as a strength conditioning coach. So find another hobby, find another interest that interests you, get your degree in that. So when or if it does end for you, you have something else you can go do um, and, be, and be useful. In. So why do, why do you feel that is like what what's, again, and th this show is kind of broad to everybody right i'm trying to get yeah. all the different disciplines and a lot of people in athletics understand like for the most part what strength and conditioning is but what makes it such a challenge where a lot of people end up having to find that second career or have to do something on the side to then allow them to transition to something else like once they kind of get to those four, let's say 40 50s range yeah this is a this is something i've been pondering because i've been watching it happen to, to colleagues and uh, <clears throat> why it's happening i'm not sure you know I know we work a lot of hours, you know, um, you know, like in my position, I'm, I'm a division three strength coach. I'm in season eight months a year, you know, um, and I have to work 50, 60 hours a week, eight months a year. Um, and there's a lot of burnout from that. Um, we're, you know, I know one of the challenges is that strength and conditioning coaches aren't treated like an athletic trainer or a nutritionist. Like you guys are the experts. Um, and I knew nutrition has probably a, a lot of I was, about too, to, I was about to say, yeah, hold on there. There's, there's no, some. Because <laughs> you have to deal with a lot of fad diets and stuff. And, and I have to deal with that too. It's like, you know, coaches coming in and being like, oh, I saw this exercise on Instagram or, you know, wherever it was. And you're dealing with the internet and people don't understand context and they don't allow us to be the experts that we are. Um, that's a challenge. Um, at the big time levels, you're watching coaches hiring who they trust or who they feel could be the better, a better job. Um, and so if they 
don't succeed, that guy is fired, whether or not he did a good job or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really a big question, so I don't know what the, the, the whole answer is. But burnout is part of it, especially at this age. If you manage to last in your 50s and 60s, I think at some point, somebody doesn't think you can relate to the kids anymore, regardless of your knowledge. Um, and then they, regardless of what, of what you're accomplishing, and they throw you out and say, good luck. You got three years to retirement, but you're not doing it here. <laughs> so is it because it's just an age thing? They're like, oh, you're, you're, you're older. You don't look like the young energy, energizer bunny type individual, like, and then they just kind of disregard you, even though you could be in the field for 30 years, a high level strength coach, have all these accolades have done all these things. It just doesn't matter. It's just the, almost the external facade of if you don't look like this or you don't act like this, then that's what we need. If you can't do it, then I'm sorry. I think that's definitely part of it, you know, cause I've in the last few years, I've seen a couple, you know, they were probably late fifties, early sixties, people either forced into retirement or um, let go from their positions. And these guys are one of them holds a doctorate in, in, in the field and, has been doing it forever and you know another guy was setting world records uh, you probably know him, bill gillespie because he spoke yep. at sorenex um he's another guy you know he's he obviously knows what he's doing he's got guys crazy strong crazy athletic and he was let go from his position from a guy that had you know probably less than 10 years experience <laughs> in the field um and i don't know uh, why or how how to change that but that's that's unfortunately the problem you feel salary is a big issue too i mean i feel like i just saw like some strength coach just got paid in at division one a, a million dollars a year and then you got other strength coaches barely scraping by like as an assistant with thirty thousand dollars a year like it just seems like there's this huge discrepancy yeah. in pay i mean again the big d1s secs you know again they have the finances to be able to, to support something like that and i know a, a d3 or d2 or a small d1 doesn't but I mean, how do you, how do you close that gap? It just seems so extreme. And I'm not sure how we do it. There's, there's, there's a way to do it. Like if you look at the um, Australian strength and conditioning association, and I don't know if you follow Dan Baker, uh, Dan Baker was a strength coach over there. And he kind of talks about how they do it and they have different levels. And, and because the state's involved in that process, a level one coach is going to make a salary in this range. A level two coach is going to make a salary in this range. A level three coach is going to, and it's somewhat done by the state, you know, working with the, um, their strength conditioning association. Um, but, it, it, but it's all based on experience. You know, a guy with five years experience isn't going to be a level three coach, yeah. you know, and he's not going to get a level three job. You have to work your way up the ranks and you're going to get the salary commensurate with experience and education. Um, and I think, again, a lot of that comes down to, you know, some of these schools are saying, hey, we need this because we want to keep up with the Joneses. And there's some of them that are saying we need this because it's an actual help. And the ones that believe it's an actual help are going to pay the higher salaries. Yeah, it's just <laughs> – <laughs> and that's just tough. And it's like thinking about it from that perspective, it's like I don't, I don't know if realistically like – a state or like the entire U.S. is going to automatically transition over the levels just because ever everything is so different. And I could see a lot of <laughs> see a lot of conflict from the start there. No, I I do too. But but there is a system in place for it, and it's just not. I don't know how how we could do that here because we're yeah. not taken seriously enough to um, uh, kind of 
regulate that like that. Do you, now the other thing is strength conditioning, right? Like there's always this thing where, you know, experience also doesn't always equate to a high level or successful strength coach, right? You, you could have a guy in the field five years that's better than some individuals that are in it 15, 20 years. Yep. Are you able to kind of speak on that? Like, um, or, what, or what you've seen or, or maybe just opinion and thoughts on, I don't know. I also, yeah, I have lots of opinions and thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep it. We'll keep it conservative. <laughs> yeah. No. I um, no. I and I've seen that. Um, I do think there's a there, there's to a degree you have to pay your dues, right? A young guy has to get his experience, and and even if he knows a lot, he needs to kind of show show that he knows a lot and, can, and do the job. Um, but those guys that get a certain level. I think there's a lot of them that just stop um, learning, stop continuing education and stop applying what they're hearing and learning. And that's kind of what I see. These young guys are hungry and they're learning everything and they pass this older guy uh, and they could be a better coach uh, because they're, they're learning. And I think that's, I won't say it's the only problem, but it is one of the big problems. You, Cause if you walk around these conferences, you see some of these longtime coaches in the middle of a clinic, they're out in the hall on a phone or, you know, walking around the hall, getting free snacks or whatever they're doing, but they're not, they're not actively learning in their, uh, in their field anymore. Why, why do you feel they're, why do you feel some individuals are getting like, like too comfortable? Like, is it because it is, do you think it because it is the burnout? Like they don't feel valued. They're not getting paid enough. Like, Oh, I've been through this a million times. What else? Cause they possibly like having almost a closed mindset where it's like, what else could I possibly yeah, know I, or I, learn I, that I don't already know because I've been successful. I think it's um, I think it's a comb combination of things. I think it's it's success, right? You know, you go to a big time D one school. I've made it. Why do I got to keep learning? You know, mm -hmm. um, you're part of a winning program. Why do I got to keep learning? You know, <laughs> I'm already on top. Um, I think there's some of that. I think there's the burnout aspect. Um, <laughs> you'll hear coaches, and, and you don't hear about the NSCA too much, but the CSCCA uh, conference which is a lot of football guys. He goes, when you go to that conference in January, they said, you can walk in the hall and smell the burnout. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> guys just got done with their football seasons and, and they're just trash from all the hours and, and the work and the time. Um, because a lot of them are doing it by themselves or with a, a staff that's too small or the, the way the culture is in football, they just have to keep going and going and going. Um, uh, and I and I do think that's that's a big challenge that we, we face is is that burnout uh, component. How 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 is let's say in, in your profession as a practitioner, how, how do you say no? Or like how do you how do you put yourself in a position where you're like I don't need to be here twelve hours? Yeah. And being okay with yourself to know that's okay because you have a family and kids and there's other responsibilities you have. Like you know, I've seen stuff recently where you know, coaches on professional teams or college teams are like, I don't, I don't want you here. Like, I want you to go do stuff with your kids. But then you have the other side of the, the coin where like, like, it's almost like you feel, or there's an expectation you have to be there 12, 14 hours. Like, how do you say no? And how do you know what your limit is? So maybe you can hopefully reduce being or feeling burnt out. <laughs> um, that's, that's really a, um, it's really hard to find that point, especially when you're younger. Um, you know, when I, when I first started out in the field, the expectation um, from my boss was to be there 60 hours a week. Um, he did it, and he was actually there more. 
Hmm. Um, and then, you know, I kind of took that mentality into my next job where it was like, I'm going to be here 60 hours a week, even though I only have four teams today. <laughs> and then I got to, I got to figure out how to fill those other hours with, you know, training or watching practice or, you know, talking to the trainers or whatever you managed to find to do. Um, but because that was the, what was ingrained in my head, I'm sitting there just trying to find things to do. And then when I came to Buff State, there were, there was 60 hours of work to do. Um, with just the athletes and not counting all the other stuff that they want you to do. Um, I think my first week I was, I worked like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boss, Jerry, Jerry Boys at the time, he was a, a football coach too. He, um, he pulled me aside after the first week when he saw me going home at seven at night or 7.30 at night. He goes, no, no. He goes, you figure out a way to get this job done in less hours so you can be with your family. Um, and I was thankful for that. And I think that's the biggest thing. The administrators have to kind of support that. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he supported that, if a team's like, well, I want to train at eight o'clock at night, he was like, that's fine, but Nate's not doing it. You know, um, and when you have that type of support, it goes a long way towards people rearranging their schedules to kind of be in that, in, in the time frame. For, yeah, because I mean, that, that then that gives you the, the trust and, and the admin to be able to say like, if I don't want to do it, I know at least that person's going to have my back to be like, no, like you have a family and kids too. He has a family and kids too. He's got stuff he has to do. If he doesn't get home by five, six o'clock, like he's going to miss a lot of important things or he's going to have to put his kids to bed by eight, nine o'clock and get to spend no time with his kids. Then he's got to get back up at five, six in the morning to be here again. Like then he spends no time with his wife and it's like, then that loop just keeps continuing to happen. I mean, you know, and that's, we see a lot with strength conditioning staff as well, like high divorce rate, like, (laughs) you know, it's challenging to keep, you know, what what you're supposed to be doing at your job at a high level, but also be able to keep your family and your kids in mind and and be able to also do everything to support them and be there for them at the same time too. No, that's been one of my biggest challenges is, I mean, you know me, I'm not like a super high energy guy Uh, and, and, Part of that's just my natural personality, but part of that is also learning like, all right, I'm up at 5 a.m. I've still got to have energy at seven o'clock tonight. Yeah. I've got to disperse that energy evenly throughout the day <laughs> to get to to get to that time just to be have enough energy to play with my five-year-old. Yeah, because me- I mean ment- mentally you'll just be shot. Like you could physically be able to do it, but mentally you just don't have the brain power or the will or the motivation or yeah. You just won't be in the mood. Like you just don't want to do it because you've been having to do with that the whole entire day. Yeah. And, and what I find is um, the people that don't support that either, either they're young and don't have kids themselves or they're older and past that stage. So they can kind of have that time again. Yeah. Um, and usually it's not the people in between that have those families that are, that are pushing that. And sometimes it is, but, um, but yeah, you have usually have the two extremes. Could you, uh, you know, talking about obviously being at the D3 level, could you speak a little bit on that? Like, what do you see if a strength coach goes into a Division three role or is currently in, a, say, there's coaches out there at a Division three role? Like, what are the challenges? But then what maybe also some of the benefits of being at a role, getting lots of exposure, having to do a lot of stuff your, yourself, essentially? Um, well, 
Well, let's start with the, some of the challenges because I don't want to end it on a, a negative note. So we'll start with the, the negative side. Um, so at most D3 schools, and I'm not going to say all, but at, at a lot of them, you're the only person there. Um, there's nobody else that this is going to fall on. Um, so you're trying to make your 10, 12, 15 teams or more happy. Um, and you know as well as I do that trying to make 400 student athletes and 15 coaches happy with the style of training you do is next to impossible. Um, even if you know what you're doing and you're getting the results that physically that they want, um, you know, you're not able to do everything that they want you to do. So that's going to be one of your biggest challenges. If you can get out of place with a staff and you spread that out a little bit, it makes life so much easier. Um, the, the pay, um, and, and it's also going to be a positive, but the, the pay is a negative, right? You're not getting paid what your D1 counterparts are getting paid. Um, I could step into an assistant position at a D1 school and probably make as much as I make now, you know? Um, <clears throat> so, so, you know, that, that's that. Um, I think one of the challenges that, you know, I've seen and I've, I've heard other coaches uh, kind of uh, echo is that, uh, and you deal with this at a D1 level too, but, um, you know, and I mentioned it briefly earlier, is that kind of level of expertise. It's like, there's a perception that, oh, he's here at D3, so he must not know what he's talking about. Um, so I'm going to either take this team from him. I know more about this sport and this training and, and whatnot. And, and, and coaches are allowed to do that to, you know, in certain parts of the year at D3. Uh, I'm going to take that off his hands and I'm going to run the program. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, I, that's a, that's a big challenge. And, and then you see what's coming, coming from these coaches and you're like, Oh God. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, just to interject there, sometimes with the coaches too, it's like, they've just been at that level. They've never, in a lot of cases that maybe they're just getting a strength conditioning coach for the first time, or they're newly being introduced to working with the strength conditioning coach. And it's like, you have that control and power over that program that's yours for a long period of time. And it's just what you've done. And it's like, how do, how do I delegate or not give that off to that new individual coming in who is their job to do that? It could be a real struggle to give away something you've been doing, even though it's going to make their life a lot easier. And it's one less thing to have to think of. It, it can be hard for some coaches to disengage from kind of that thought process. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, something I see depending on the coach, but mm -hmm. um, you, you also, you also kind of get um, stuck a little bit. You're either stuck in the weight room or stuck all conditioning. And I've met a couple coaches that, like, based on the school they're at and what the coaches want, they either do all weight room stuff or all conditioning stuff. And usually you're not a strength and conditioning coach. You're either a strength coach or a conditioning coach. Um, and we know that it's both sides of the puzzle, both pieces of the puzzle are needed. Um, that, that's a drawback. Um, and, again, that's just due to staffing and, facilities and whatnot. Um, and then um, you, I heard you mention it in one of your previous podcasts, but you kind of get stuck in your silo because of that. Um, and, and everybody is kind of overworked and whatnot. So you're, you're in your weight room and you don't have time to go talk to the trainers. You don't have time to go talk to the coaches. Uh, it might be a quick email or a text as opposed to sitting down and having the conversations you need to have to make the programs successful. 
What are some positives? Though? Oh yeah, positives. I, I forgot. I would that. say I would <laughs> say one thing that pops in my head that was a big positive when I was when I was interning underneath you is you definitely get a lot of experience coaching. Yeah, yeah. And you have to coach a pretty again in your situation, right? If you're working with let's say 15 different teams, well, guess what? You got to know how to work with every single team that's going to be there. And you're going to have to know how to work with all these different personalities, all these different types of sports, different, whether it's on a court, whether it's on field, whether it's in the water, right? So it's like, you definitely get a huge exposure, which I feel in a lot of cases, like makes you quite the utility individual because you don't have one niche and you have to be extremely simple and basic because you can't also do anything crazy or fancy. So it's like, you really got to keep to the, to the basic details of what you're doing. I tell our, uh, I tell potential interns that all the time, because usually uh, being in Buffalo, we have a couple, couple schools in the area and they usually look at Buff State and University of Buffalo. And I'm like, you can go to University of Buffalo. It's going to look better on your resume. But if you come here, you're actually going to get to coach. I said, I don't know how all the coaches over there run stuff, but chances are you'll be setting up towels and setting up equipment. You're not actually going to be coaching, but here you're going to, if you want to, you're going to actually step in and, and you're going to be coach whoever day one you're, <laughs> you're going to be on the floor like because i'm like, I'm like I, I expect you to know how to you know teach a basic squat and a bench press i said everything else you, you can learn <laughs> but if you can know those two for me yeah you're, you're going to go a long way here squat hinge push pull do you know how yep. to teach that if you yep. do i think we're okay <laughs> um you know uh, and and going into another positive you know i tell everybody you, you have a stability thing you're not getting fired every three or four years um, you're going to have a constant job. Um, very few strength coaches are getting fired every three years at the D3 level. Yeah. Um, so that's a huge benefit. The pay is also relatively stable because of that. It might not be great, but you have reg regular income. You're not going to have to go on unemployment or budget so hard that, you know, in case you get fired from your job and you have to wait another you know, year to work, yeah. um, you have that constant income. Um, so those are some of the positives. Um, and, and this is positive in all situations, but the kids are always great. You know, the ones that want to work are fantastic to work with. Um, and it's easy to uh, kind of go in and, um, and work with the kids that, that want to be there. Um, you don't have that pressure to the same degree that everybody has to be successful um, because at D3, the kids ultimately have a choice whether or not they want to be in that weight room in the off season. And if they don't want to be there, they don't have to be. And there's nothing a coach can hold over their head for it. Um, it's a negative thing, but at the same time, that means I'm left with the kids that want to be there. <laughs> so it makes your job a little easier in some senses. You're not fighting. You're not always fighting some battles that, you don't want to fight Absolutely. Um, so yeah. we're, we're we're almost towards the end there we got about four minutes so i want to kind of and we could definitely bring it on again because i had a whole bunch of different things i wanted to ask that i wasn't able to get to but That's unfortunately funny. you know zoom gives you 40 <laughs> minutes to, to be able to do these things and zoom if you hear this if you could expand it that'd be awesome so i don't have to pay 150 for a year but um my last question that i have for you is you know, everyone always asks like, oh, what is your favorite this? What's your favorite that? Um, the question I'm kind of using at the end of these podcasts is what is maybe two to three people that you would recommend um, strength coaches or interns or people coming up or anybody really in your field to follow, listen to, follow on Instagram, read a book, like 
who are those two or three people for you? Um, if we go with the strength and conditioning side of things, um, there's a guy I've been watching on YouTube. Um, his name is Dane Miller. Uh, he, he's under the channel Garage Strength. He's got a, a little different perspective than most people. Um, it's still kind of a little bit meathead, a little bit strength conditioning, a little bit of science, but he, he's fun to listen to and he's got just a slightly different perspective on things. Um, so he's a guy that I've been into lately from a strength conditioning side of uh, things. Um, on a speed side of things, Derek Hansen has been doing some things on Instagram and kind of going over some of his speed stuff. And I've been enjoying those two. Um, when I see their stuff, I'm usually writing notes and <laughs> keeping track of them. And then one, one quick question off of that. Do you feel you've, you've transitioned a lot more to going more towards watching video and like social media and Instagram versus, you know, everyone, it used to be when I, you're like, you got to read these five books and they're like super hard to read and they take like <laughs> months to, to read because they're complex or they're like 400 pages long. <laughs> I, I still love books. Um, I don't know if you remember my office, but I've got a whole bunch oh, of yeah. books. I, I still read, I still read regularly. Um, but I know videos are easier and you can kind of get what you need and dig into it later. Um, so that, those guys kind of get, get you what you need and you can dig into it later um, as you see fit. Gotcha. Well, <laughs> Nate, hey, I really, I really appreciate you taking the time today um, to come on. This was awesome. Yeah. Um, we had, I was going to go over all the stuff that I had out for us, but I think a lot of the stuff that we went over is, is real it's happening right now, currently in the field. It's realistic and there's lots of good things that, that people can kind of take from this, especially from someone's perspective that's been in the field for, I don't want to say, say 20, 25 years. Not quite that long, almost 20. Almost 20 years, right? To just give people kind of a perspective of, and I'm going to have a variety of strength coaches on that may have been in the field five, 10 years, you know, your 20 years, who knows, I may get somebody on that's longer than that, but just also giving the multiple levels, whether it's the level of where they're at D1, D2 pro tactical, and also the levels of where they're at kind of in their career, just to kind of give everybody that perspective to kind of see, um, you know, what they're kind of thinking, where they feel everything is at at this point. Because yeah. all those different levels are all going to have a different perspective because of what they've seen and what they've done. Yep. I agree. And thank you for having me on. It's been fun. All right, guys, uh, what I'll do is I'll put uh, any information for Nate in the bio. Um, if you want to follow me, I have a link as well. It's on Linktree. I have all my different stuff linked up there, my LinkedIn, uh, my personal webpage, Instagram. So lots of good things you could follow. Um, I'll post a lot of Nate stuff up there as well and whatever ways he wants you to follow him too. Um, and I hope you guys have a great day. Appreciate y'all listening.